when I was preparing this sermon, we have the title in the bulletin is Waiting for God. And kind of as I was going through it, there's kind of a secondary title with this too. And that's secondary title is Be Careful What You Ask For. As I start off this, I have two texts. Um, those of you who maybe grew up in very formal church services and, and some that I attended, you always had a reading from the Old Testament and then a reading from the New Testament. And um, I will start off with a reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8, and then I will go to uh, 1 Timothy 6. And um, so we'll start off in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they, when they said, Give us a king and lead, to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And they have done as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and, re and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what a king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. And then following on in verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Saul. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the Lord had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Reading in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. 
we have the setting for our main story this morning. The children of Israel have entered the promised land. They have begun to cast out their enemies. And until this time, they have been led by judges and by prophets, people that God raised up in the time of need. We have the examples of Gideon and Samson and Deborah and many, many others. And here we have Samuel, this special person who was brought as a baby when he was probably only five or six to be raised in the temple. Samuel grows up to be a great leader for Israel, and his leadership has been very long and very honored. But his next generation, his sons, don't seem to follow in the counsel of the Lord, and the people are not content. They are looking around them at everything else that's happening. Every other nation has a king. Why aren't we as a people important enough to have a king? What is it about us that makes us so different? Are we not polished enough? Are we not a great people? All the great nations that we see around us have a king. So they complained to Samuel. And they said, we want a king. We want what everyone else has. Isn't it interesting? They had a king. The Lord was their king. The Lord just wasn't parading around in a chariot, wearing red robes. But his counsel had always been there. And there was help even for the ordinary man. But the Lord as king wasn't enough for them. They wanted drama, show, prestige. And Samuel is dismayed. The best thing he can do is go to the Lord in prayer. It's interesting to note here that God says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. God said they have been complainers since they were in Egypt. They haven't changed their ways. So give them what they want. You know, that kind of message is pretty scary. There's a lot of things we may want, but we don't want the fallout from what happens when we get there. We make requests. We know how we want things to turn out. But then when the fallout happens, what happens? Who do we blame? Do we blame ourselves for making that choice? We say, no, God is punishing me again. So Samuel replies to the people and he says, I want you to understand what you're asking for here. I don't think you know. Yes, you'll get what you ask for. But this is what you're asking for. This is what a king will do when he reigns over you. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties. Others will plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others will make weapons of war and, equip and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage from your vineyards and give it to his officials and attendants. 
And it is an interesting note. Not only were they required to pay a tenth in tithe, but now the king would take even more. Your manservants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king and you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you that day. Samuel saying, don't you get it? This is not going to be fun. In fact, it's going to cost you dearly, more than you will know. Worse, you will become slaves to the king. You think you have it bad now. Just wait. The worst is yet to come. For you will cry out to the Lord and say, we need relief from this tyrant. And the Lord will not answer. Be careful what you ask for. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us and we want it now. We want to be like all the other nations, a king who will go out before us and fight our battles. They insisted. They did not listen to the council. And when Samuel heard all the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered and said, give them a king. Be careful what you ask for. There are wise and good people who give us counsel saying, no, it's not what you want. But we insist right back and we know what we want. And when we get it, we are horrified by the results. And who do we blame? Once again, we blame God. God had designed a life for the Hebrew people that would be safe, good, and prosperous. They rejected it at every turn, disobeyed the law, running after other gods and worshiping them, refusing God's leadership and rule. Seeking the will of God, asking to know his will for your life, will result in peace and joy. Going your own way, will result in disaster. That's the thing that we need to practice. It's the habit of hearing and then doing. Saul becomes a king. He's a very handsome man. He is exactly what they think they want as a leader. It makes the Israelites feel important. They have now arrived. They are a nation. But the Lord does delight in our coming together and worship worshiping and inner offerings. But when we put our own works in front of that, that is not what the Lord wants. He wants us first to obey. To obey is to better is to good is better than sacrifice. We have the example going on of Saul when he went out and fought the battle and Samuel said, "Wait, and then Samuel made him wait. So he decided his counsel was best. He stopped, went ahead. And when Samuel finally arrived, he said, what did you do? Well, you weren't here, so I went ahead. Are we willing to wait upon the Lord? Showing our love and committing to God first. That should be our priority. It is the human condition to rationalize away our behavior as not important to the rule of God. It is our decision how we treat one another, how we spend our money, how we 
say our speech, how we do our actions. The lesson of King Saul is an important one for us, pressing us to let God be our sovereign in our lives, that we may please the Lord first in all that we are, all that we say, all that we do. He has promised to pour out a blessing on us, more than we can contain. But are we willing to wait? Isn't it striking that in this story of Saul, Saul is recognized in all history books as the first king of Israel. But he was not the first real king of Israel. Imagine for a moment what would have been if Israel had stayed with their judges. What would have happened to history? How different it would have been. Instead of looking for a man to lead them, they acknowledged their first king, God, and followed him. What if they hadn't taken the easy way out? What if they had chosen to continue the struggle, to flesh out what was meant to be a nation with no human king, a nation that followed the one true God and God alone? Perhaps instead of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we would have First and Second and Third and Fourth Judges. We would look back at their history rather than as a pattern of rejection and a failure moving away from God. We would see a pattern of growth, increased faithfulness, and greater intimacy with God. It is clear that God desires this for Israel. It is clear that God desires this for us. He desires to live among us, to be with us, to serve us. To love us, and we, in turn, serve and love him. God even warns the people of consequences of their choice. He says this is what will happen. We are not always lucky. We rarely get to know the results of our choices before they are made. But Israel, knowing that they will give up their sin, sons to die in wars, they will give up their daughters to serve the king, knowing they will give up the best of everything, until they cry to God for mercy. They still want their way. Even with all this fresh in mind, Israel still rejects God, and they get exactly what they ask for, more distance between them and God, and a king to oppress them. You know, it, it happens in every church, sooner or later. Eventually, a pastor beloved pastor who has been looked upon for guidance for one reason or another moves on or retires or for whatever reason has left the church. There are several points I think we can take home from the Saul story here and what happens when leadership is put there. I want us to take home the point today that as we look at the Saul story, we need to wait for God to supply us with the man that he will. First, 
when it comes to the time your pastor has left, remember one thing, and that is keep your eyes on God. It is understandable how people can become attached to the pastor. He is rightly viewed as God's representative to preach and teach his word, a trusted counselor, a friend, a father figure, an influence of our faith. A servant who sacrifices time and energy and love to care for us, his church family. However, as remarkably important as God's servants are, we must remember they are mere mortals and that our faith must be rooted in Christ alone, never in any man or his servants. To be sure, no one will ever be able to replace a departed pastor. He was a unique person, will always be of one kind. But his position as pastor can indeed be filled again. God will have another genuine, unique servant that he will send to lead the flock of God. Pastoral change is, contrary to popular belief, not the end of the world. Change is part of life. And although there will definitely, definitely be a need for extra patience and flexibility by everyone in the congregation, we will get through this. And we have a few tips I would like to give to us. First, be faithful to attend services. The lack of a permanent pastor can sometimes feel less enthused or connected with the church and may promote more frequent absences or visitations to other churches. However, if there was ever a time the church needed you, this is it. Instead of finding excuses to stay away, this should be the time to increase your faithfulness in every area. Don't be a fair-weather friend of the church, but remain faithful even during such cloudy or uncertain times. Second, be a person of prayer. People in the church must always be persons sincerely devoted to prayer, but even more so during the time that their church is without a pastor. If he can, our enemy Satan will attempt to use the pastoral vacancy to incite mischief, conflict, and discouragement in the flock. So prayer and spiritual vigilance is especially important during this time. Third, be extra patient and understanding. An interim period for any church may become tense and stressful, creating the possible atmosphere for any number of misunderstandings. So it is very helpful for everyone to add an extra season of patience and sweetness in their attitudes. Usually, once the pastor is gone, the congregation will discover many of the things he did. Suddenly, the congregation may not run as smoothly as it once did. Task may fall through the cracks or be forgotten about. It is not a time to criticize or to find fault, but to be understanding and pitch in and help to make up the shortfalls. Continue, fourth, continue to contribute financially. During a time of leadership transition, church finances often become one of the first casualties to suffer. So it is vitally important for you to remain steadfast 
with your tithes and offerings. Remember, the tithes belong to God. They're not yours. They're not yours to say how they should be worked with. They belong to the Lord. Be continually faithful to him, regardless of the changing nature of the church. Fifth, volunteer more than usual. Sometimes people look at changes in church leadership as an opportunity to make changes of their own. Perhaps to leave the church or to give up a position or a responsibility. Not only is this a poor time to abandon the church, but it is a critical time to step up and volunteer more than usual. The church is not merely an agency to provide a service or a benefit to you. The church is a relationship-based community, a family where people serve and bless each other mutually. And it takes everyone's participation to make it work the way it should. Another way to look at it, the church isn't a restaurant where patrons come, are seated, are served, and are pampered. It is more like the potluck dinner. Everyone brings their dish to share. Sixth, help contribute to unity. During times uncertainty within an organization, voices of discouragement and discontentment can often be heard in the ranks. But this is a moment your influence of support and encouragement is so needed to help promote peace and unity in the body. Talk up the church among your friends. Speak encouragement and help to promote harmony. There can be a variety of other outstanding leaders, elders, deacons in a church who will undoubtedly help bring unity and stability. But unless these persons have established, recognized credibility, have spoken frequently before the body, or have exercised dealing with varieties of personalities and sensitivity within the body, they will have their hands full. It can take considerable experience and tact to be a peacemaker and unify people, and helps if everyone will be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Seventh, avoid church politics. Politics is essentially a competition or a struggle for control, influence, leadership, associated with promoting oneself, opinions, or starving for position. Something that is quite contrary to theocracy and philosophy of leadership that God ordained and wanted for his church. Unfortunately, power struggles are frequent in many churches and do far more harm than good. Do your best to contribute to the harmony of the body of believers and cooperate with those who are duly authorized to lead. Do not contend with those in authority, but support and pray for them and let God make whatever changes are needed. If everyone will seek to humble themselves, to love and to serve, God has amazing ways to bring people together in an obvious awareness of those who he has chosen to lead. Eight, don't waste the opportunity. What about the interim time between the pastor's departure and the new pastor's arrival? There is often a prevailing attitude that the spiritual focus of the ministry of the church is suspended or stagnant during this period. 
but this shouldn't be. God still has a vital purpose for every service, every guest speaker, every ministerial department within the church. It is important for the congregation to remain faithful and engaged so that God's intended work can be accomplished. Finally, don't panic. Be at peace. Do your part to pray, contribute, and help as we have suggested. But the church will do better if everyone remains calm and steadfast. Ultimately, our Lord cares more about his church than any of us do. Trust and rest in the fact that he stated he will build his church. And in Matthew 16, verse 18, it says, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it.